Hi everyone, welcome again to the Blue Ridge Church of Christ podcast. My name is Phil Bruns. Thank you so much for taking time from your day to be with us. Well, we're excited today to begin a new series entitled For Him, a new series of podcasts where we're going to dive into different aspects of our lives and look at the way we live for Him, the way we live for Jesus. We're excited to get started today, so stay tuned. all of us are always looking to increase our joy. We may not think about it in the moment. We may not be thinking like, gosh, I wish I lived a happier life. But yet I think we're always striving to be more joyful, always striving to be happier because we know that's just a better place mentally and spiritually to be at is to be in a happier place. Well, today I'm going to get started in our For Him series and talking about great relationships, which is a key to joy. It's a key to living a happy life. It's having great relationships to help us as we get started in the For Him series. We're going to be looking, uh, not just today, but each lesson, we're going to be taking a look at a different aspect of the church in Ephesus. Not the book necessarily of Ephesians, but the people that were in the church who lived in Ephesus. A little about the the town of Ephesus. Uh, At the time in the first century, it was a city of about 250,000 people. Uh, Some scholars actually think it was much less, maybe around 50,000. But either way, it was a sizable city for the time. In fact, at one point um, prior to our story today, about 30 years uh, before Jesus, it was made the capital of Asia Minor, which is Western Turkey uh, as we know it today. The area was filled with Greek and Roman influences, with culture, with religion. Uh, It had a battle-filled history uh, dating back uh, for centuries. Ephesus had a major port that uh, from the port, from the harbor, uh, you could sail through the harbor down to the river and out into the Aegean Sea and out into the Mediterranean Sea and reach uh, many, many uh, countries. And so there was a lot of trade going back and forth between Ephesus and many other places. It was a home of the Temple of Artemis, which we'll talk about at another time. It was the home of an agora, where there was a lot of trade, uh, where some of the, the disciples worked. Today, if you go to ancient Ephesus, it is a city that was buried over time because of the earthquake-prone area that it is. But at least a portion of it now is unearthed. And it is an incredible archaeological uh, area with many, many ruins that are exposed and and restored and other places that are still buried underground. Uh, It is a UNESCO World Heritage Site today, if you're familiar with that. It was buried for centuries. It was finally in the mid-19th century that uh, excavation started. But as mentioned, very little of it today is excavated. Well, that's enough about the city for now. We'll talk more about that later. But inside that city, there was a group of folks that were followers of Jesus. They were his disciples. They were followers of the way. But to start that conversation, we actually have to go back to Corinth. One of the foundational things of this church in Ephesus, as it is with any church, as it is with any family, as it is with any business, a group of friends is the relationships. Specific to the church in Ephesus, it was their relationship 
with God that they had through Jesus and their relationships with each other. Today, we're going to look at three keys to build great relationships. But first, let's start with maybe an underlying reason as to why we want to talk about that. For that, if you have a Bible handy or you can just listen, listen as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away everything I own, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I receive no benefit. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not envious. Love does not brag. It is not puffed up. It is not rude. It is not self-serving. It is not easily angered or resentful. It is not glad about injustice, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But if there are prophecies, they will be set aside. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be set aside. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when what is perfect comes, the partial will be set aside. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became an adult, I set aside childish ways. For now we see in a mirror indirectly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. That was 1 Corinthians chapter 13. When we think about this chapter, it's sometimes known as the love passage. And you'll hear many scriptures from that or many of, uh, of those verses read at marriage events or they apply to marriage. You'll find it at a, at a wedding. But I think our tendency is to actually make this passage smaller than it actually is. And what it means is, is it's going to be read at, like I said, a marriage retreat or a wedding or anniversaries about how wonderful love is. But rarely is it heard at a singles event or a campus retreat or a singles party. It's rarely, rarely heard. It is an incredible passage where Paul describes what true love is, uh, what it means, and its importance. But if you look at the context that 1 Corinthians 13 is in, I think we need to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Where if you look at 1 Corinthians 12, and I won't read that here today, but it describes the, the human body, the parts of a body being the parts and pieces of Christ's body, of Jesus' body. And how we all have different talents we bring to the table. But we know we have different kinds of talents and things that we bring to the table. We know that, and we know uh, it comes from different experiences, different likes, different dislikes. 
1 Corinthians 13, the chapter of love, is in the context of the relationships found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which are all about the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 does not mention marriage. It doesn't mention a wedding. It does not mention an anniversary. It's about the relationships of God's people, of all people. So when it says, love is patient, love is kind, it's not envious, love does not brag, it's not puffed up, and so on and so forth, it's not talking about marriage. It's actually in the context of all relationships of the body of Christ. Although, dare I say, it's very applicable two marriages, but it's in the context in this case of relationships in the body of Christ. So we go to Corinth about the year 50. A relationship started there that would change the world, including the city of Ephesus. You see, that's where Paul, a single man, met a married couple named Aquila and Priscilla. Let's pick up the story, and for that I'm going to turn to Acts chapter 18, reading in verse 1. It says, After this, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth, where he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to deport from Rome. Paul approached them, and because he worked at the same trade, he stayed with them and worked with them, for they were tent makers by trade. He addressed both Jews and Greeks in the synagogue every Sabbath, attempting to persuade them. Moving on down to Acts 18 and verse 18. Paul, after staying many more days in Corinth, said farewell to the brothers and sailed away to Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. He had his hair cut off at Crenchia because he had made a vow. When they reached Ephesus, Paul left Priscilla and Aquila behind there, but he himself went into the synagogue and addressed the Jews. When they asked him to stay longer, he would not consent, but said farewell to them and added, I will come back to you again if God wills. Then he set sail from Ephesus, and when he arrived at Caesarea, he went up, greeted the church in Jerusalem, and then went down to Antioch. And it goes on from there. It's in the context of a story of Paul going from city to city to city to city, strengthening disciples, teaching them about Jesus, going to the synagogues, pleading with the people of the towns. But while he was in Corinth, he runs into a married couple named Priscilla and Aquila. They had been kicked out of Rome because of an uprising that had been blamed against the Jews, and they had found themselves moving to Corinth. Paul, now on his second missionary journey, would run into them. And the timing and the common interest would bring him together, common in one, their love for God, but also, if you caught it, their common skill for making tents. And they would be in Corinths for some time, working together both in uh, the faith and in their secular work. And it's interesting that God brought them together as there had to be a lifelong bond that developed and grew starting there in Corinth. And it developed and grew so much that that relationship would take the three of them to Ephesus, which, by the way, is not a small trip. It wasn't a small walk over to Ephesus. They sailed on to Ephesus. It's a good distance away. Landed in the harbor there. And uh, for most scholars, they feel like this was the start of the church in Ephesus. 
the start of the church that would grow in that city for many, many decades to come. And it all started with the relationships of Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla. Uh, for them, Priscilla and Aquila, of course, the relationship was their marriage. It was their love that they had between them. But then it was also their relationship with Paul and the love they had between the two parties. And then it looks as if there were many other relationships with many other followers of Jesus that are not named in this Acts 18. We find that these disciples are strengthened. They asked Paul to stay uh, in Ephesus. And I'm guessing there was more than one tear shed as some of these folks went from place to place. You know, for us, it's important from time to time to think about how God worked in your life to help you to see him. And perhaps he is working now in ways for you to find him in ways you've never noticed before. What did he do to help you become a follower of Jesus? Or what is he doing now to help you to become a follower of Jesus? Uh, the timing, the relationships, what is your story? What is the life you have living because you have chosen to be a follower of Jesus? Or what is the life you could live should you choose to follow him? That's all good to think back. And for the church in Ephesus, it started again with Priscilla and Aquila and Paul in their meeting actually back in Corinth and the relationship that began there. How do you feel about the relationships that God is offering you? You know, it's the same recipe today as it was back then in regards to relationships, whether it be personally with you and God or with those around you. But we can look at this foundation of how the church in Ephesus came together to help us today. So I came up with three things that will help us build great relationships. Great relationships. Who doesn't want that? Number one, be a great friend. Be a great friend. You know, it said that Paul approached Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, because perhaps he saw them making tents and he thought, huh, a tent maker. So let me go over and be friends with them. I'm not sure how it says that Paul approached them. I'm not sure how that went. Maybe he went up to them and just started talking, maybe asked some questions, maybe a joke, who knows. But whatever it was, a connection was made. You know, it's hard to picture Paul being insecure about making that connection. When you read throughout the New Testament, you get a sense of who Paul definitely was. And I don't picture him being insecure in this moment. But if he had any hesitancy, it didn't stop him. Perhaps he just saw the bigger picture there. And I think for us, when we think about being a great friend, Maybe we're not exactly like Paul, and maybe we do hesitate, and maybe we don't think we have friendship to offer. But you know what? That's just not true. And maybe what would help us is to see the bigger picture. Maybe it would help you to see the bigger picture of how you can be a friend to someone else. But a second thought here is that Priscilla and Aquila were actually open to receiving this new relationship. I'm guessing they had other friends or certainly could have been in a spot where they sat, were satisfied with their old friends or the ones that they have. So whether we are coming to be a friend 
or uh, someone comes to us and we are receiving a friend, it is two-sided thought that needs both sides for it to work. I think they both saw Priscilla and Aquila and Paul. I think they both saw were open to this new relationship that God had offered them. It was in that spirit that maybe they thought of Proverbs chapter 11 verses 24 and 25 taking it to heart. It says in Proverbs that one person is generous and yet grows more wealthy, but another withholds more than he should and comes to poverty. A generous person will be enriched, and the one who provides water for others will himself be satisfied. It says that one person is generous and gives and gives and gives, and instead of growing poorer, actually gets more wealthy. And I think both Paul and Priscilla and Aquila are looking at each other as this relationship buds. That goodness gracious, if they work together, not only could they perhaps have a successful tent business, but more than that, they could grow a bond that would last a lifetime. In fact, I don't think it was ever about the tents they made. The tents were only a means of making a living. They were only the means of to, to make an income. And it was the commonality between the two parties. I mean, it was a, a benefit of God, working through God's kindness. It's nice to be the receiver of kindness, but in Proverbs chapter 11 that I just read, it's very clear that actually the greater benefactor is the giver. And see, that's where we often get stuck. If you're like me, you know, it's a lot easier to receive than to give isn't it? It's a lot easier to receive than to give. But if we go into relationships going to be a friend, that can turn that around. And there's a lot of ways we can apply this. Our, in our uh, congregation here in Charlottesville, it's a fairly small group, but we tend to make it even smaller by talking to the same folks. You might be a student at a big university or you might work for a big company, but all of a sudden it gets a lot smaller with the relationships when you have a much smaller group. I was talking to an individual some time ago about this. And I said, you know, you could go, this was a, uh, an older person, and I said, you could go the whole year not talking to a younger person and I don't think anyone would notice. And he agreed, he was sad, that that can happen. Recently in our church, we had a, a midweek exercise where we sat back-to-back uh, -back with someone having a conversation, and then we turned and faced forward to having a conversation. A conversation, a real conversation of what your, how your day was, what you did during the full day, what you ate, the people you talked to. It was a detailed conversation. What was interesting for myself is the person I was talking to, I had talked to several times. We had gotten many coffees. We've gone out for lunch. We've uh, gotten together many, many, many times. We had never sat that close to each other talking face to face. And it changed the moment. It changed our life all for the better. It was much more personal conversation and it meant a lot to both of us even though we were already friends. I want to encourage you when you go to your church or where you live 
or visiting in Charlottesville is to approach someone and be inspired by Paul here. Talk with someone that you don't know very well. If you don't know their name, and I've been in this spot, it's good just to ask. You can say, you know what, I think you told me your name once, but I forget, and I apologize. What is it again? Or if you barely know them but know their names, go up and talk to them. How was their day? Where do they live? What do you do for a living? What have you learned from God so far this year? These are all questions that you can have a really great conversation. And if you do that, do you not think the other person will be encouraged? Of course they will. Of course they would like to share their story. Of course they would appreciate someone caring. So go be a good friend. The key to great relationships, number one, is to go be a great friend. Number two is to be greatly trustworthy. You know, when they arrived in Ephesus, Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. And he left them to lead the way there in, in the church. Paul trusted them. You know, I'm sure that they had proven that back in, uh, to him back when they were in Corinth. That wasn't anything new. But Paul trusted them with this precious gospel of Jesus that they had. He trusted them to take care of the followers that were there, to encourage them, to build them up, to always help them to see Jesus each day of their lives. But the important thing here is that Paul trusted them because they were trustworthy, not the other way around. Paul trusted them because they were trustworthy. Proverbs chapter 11, in verse 3, it says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of treacherous destroys them. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9 says, The one who conducts himself in integrity will live securely, but the one who behaves perversely will be found out. And finally, Paul wrote himself in Titus chapter 2, verse 7, to show yourselves to be a good example of good works in every way. There are tons of scriptures that teach us to trust God, many others that teach us to live righteous, trustworthy lives. But actually, there's very little that teaches us to go trust other people. Like in this situation with Paul, where he trusted Priscilla and Aquila. You see, when we trust other people, it's the fruit of them showing themselves to be trustworthy. Who would you lend your credit card to? Who would you give your credit card to? Well, obviously, it would be someone who has shown themselves to be trustworthy. You wouldn't just go walking down the street and have someone come up and ask, hey, can I have your credit card? You would not say, oh, sure, yeah, here you go. I trust you, stranger. No, not at all. You might trust a friend. You might trust, you know, your, your honey bunny, your spouse. You probably should trust your spouse. You might even trust your kids. Of course, some parents are nervous of that. <laughs> But when people show themselves to be trustworthy, then we can trust them. And Priscilla and Aquila brought that to life. So how do we do that today for us? Well, you know, when we walk into a room, I think of two things. One, you want to be an encouraging safe space all the time. 
when people uh, want to, you know, want to entrust themselves to you, is for you to be a safe space. Be a safe space that someone can trust you to be. When you go into a room, don't be afraid to, to light up the room. And I'm not talking about turning on the light switch. But to, to say hello to someone, to smile at another person, to, again, ask how their day was. And that's even if you're tired. Even if you're tired, you walk into a room and listen, I've been there. Uh, we've all been there. Everybody is tired. But do your part. Where does your church need you now? You know, think to yourself right now, what is the biggest need in the church and am I helping it? Am I reliable? Can I be counted on to help that biggest need? Or what talent do I have now that I just use not at all or very sparingly for the body of Christ? You see, when we reliably do our parts with the skill sets that we have, what a difference that can make in a group. What a difference it can make. So being greatly trustworthy is point two. My third thought to have great relationships is for ourselves to have great moments with God. Where does this land on your priority list? Where does having great moments with God land on your priority list? You know, it's a challenge. You know, I'm sure many of us that are listening to this podcast, we either work or we go to school, we have kids, we have other legitimate important things that take legitimate amounts of time. And there's probably other you know, non-legitimate important things that get in our way, like time on the phone and uh, watching TV or just ourselves. But where does having great moments with God fit on your priority list? When Paul was in Ephesus in Acts chapter 18, he was there for a bit, but then needed to go on to Jerusalem. It said, when they asked him to stay longer, he would not consent, but said farewell to them and added, I will come back to you again if God will. If God wills. Well, two things here. One is that they wanted him to stay. What does that say about how Paul cultivated these relationships? You know, their attitude was not, of, gosh, Paul, I hope to see you again or good luck. Bummer that you're leaving. No, they wanted him to stay. I'm sure they were like begging, please, Paul, stay just a little bit longer. Unsaid, we love you and we need you. I can imagine the tears, the tugs of hearts, the emotional pull as Paul got on his ship to sail for Jerusalem. But Paul doesn't just say no or just doesn't say, you know, best of luck to you. You know, he says, I will come back to you again if God's will. If God wills. You see, it wasn't driven by Paul's own emotions here. He would come back if God wills, not if he feels like it, not if he gets around to it. It was if God wills. We see this in other occasions with Paul, too, throughout Acts and throughout the New Testament. In fact, it might have even been the same when they left Corinth. Uh, for me, uh, the only way I know how not to be guided by emotions is to have my personal relationship with God at the top of my priority list. My own personal relationship with God 
at the top of my priority list. Otherwise, I find myself at the top of the priority list and leaning much more in on my emotions, my thoughts, my skewed thoughts. You know, but it's easier said than done. It's easier said than done to have, you know, God at the top of that priority list. In part, because of lifeish things that come along. But also, it, it means to have God as our priority. It means we need to entrust our hearts more so to him. It means that we need to sink our hope in him more. And that, folks, I know is a challenge to us. I know it is a challenge. But God is waiting there and ready for us to do so. I think God knows it's easier said than done because of how many scriptures, tons of scriptures, talk and they show what a great relationship with God looks like. I think of Psalm chapter 28, verse 7. It says, The Lord strengthens me and protects me. I trust in him with all my heart. I am rescued and my heart is full of joy. I will sing to him in gratitude. Psalm chapter 46, verse 10. He says, stop your striving and recognize that I am God. I will be exalted over the nations. I will be exalted over the earth. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Jesus very practically brings the effort that it takes to light. When it says that Jesus got up early in the morning, when it was still very dark, departed and went out to a deserted place, and there he spent time in prayer. It takes trust, it takes recognition, and it takes action. Trusting in who God is, recognizing who God is, and action to God all lead to have that great relationship with him. These three points were at least part of the basis of the great relationships that started the church in Ephesus, and they can help us today. You want to build a great relationship with you and your friends, you and your family, you and your coworkers. The keys to building great relationships, in part, go be a great friend. Go be a great friend. And those friendships will come. Be greatly trustworthy. Present yourself as reliable and trustworthy. And people will trust you. And number three, let those great moments with God shine. Let them shine to the world around you. And you will have great relationships for him. Great relationships for Jesus. I hope that was helpful, and if you liked it, would like to hear more, please don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast. And if you're in the Charlottesville, Virginia area, would like to stop in and visit us at a Sunday service, please send us a note or visit our website at blueridgedisciples.org for more information.